So why don't we bring it back into special features? Special features. I feel pretty, oh so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and gay, and I pity any girl who's in me today. Okay, so we <laughs> usually each take a movie to do further research to find fun facts and trivia about it, but we're doing shit a little differently this time. Uh, I believe, Shady, I made you look up Romeo and Juliet, if I'm not mistaken. You are not mistaken. I had the I had West Side Story, and we're hoping Annie can enlighten us a, a, a wee bit about cheerleading some more. Okay, so Shady, uh, since Romeo and Juliet is the base of all of this, why don't you go first? Okay, well, so you can do a lot of research into the background of Romeo and Juliet. It turns out I don't want to be talking for an hour <laughs> about Shakespeare, yeah. um, but it is, you know, obviously the inspiration for both of these works. Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare is not the first telling of Romeo and Juliet at all. There was a long narrative poem written in 1562 by Arthur Brooke, an English poet, that was titled The Tragical History of Romeo and Juliet. Um, but that was the basis of William Shakespeare's play. And of course, that itself is not the oldest known version of Romeo and Juliet. There are tons of versions dating back to ancient Greece. And of course, tons of other myths and legends about star-crossed lovers uh, who are torn apart by their families or by their nations or by other means. Um, wow. Another another major inspiration for William Shakespeare was the myth of Pyramus and Thisbe, which if you're a William Shakespeare fan, you will recognize that as the play within a play in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes. The, we have no way, like the whole idea of forbidden love is so old that we have no way of knowing the original quote unquote Romeo and Juliet story. Right. It's, the Hatfield and McCoys. <laughs> right. Um, but of course, the basis of inspiration for these two works, specifically because we can point to the balcony scene, is William Shakespeare's play. This was something that I actually didn't know. I knew that we have a premiere date for Romeo and Juliet. It was first produced in 1597. What I didn't know is historians don't actually know when he wrote it. And they've estimated it anywhere between 1591 and 1595. And a lot of historians think that he started it in 91 and finished it in 95. William Shakespeare's version of Romeo and Juliet is probably the most well-known version of the star-crossed lovers, mm -hmm. at least in the English-speaking world, if not the Western world, if not the entire world. Um, and it is one of the most adapted uh plays of yes. all time um and it is adapted ad nauseum into modern times in film these days uh you have there's a popeye version of it there are you know the looney tunes have done their own versions of it <laughs> i have seen nomeo and juliet yes there is a cartoon called Romeo and Juliet Sealed with a Kiss, which is about two seals. Oh, <laughs> you stop. Um, 
And I'm pretty sure the ones uh, made for children tend to have happy endings. What? They don't drink poison and she doesn't stab herself? I'm pretty sure That's they don't. so weird. Um, <laughs> but... So gross. <laughs> but I mean... I, I really I... wish they wouldn't push the heterosexual agenda on children. <laughs> wow. Grady wow. out again. <laughs> Oh, wow, she did leave, really, this time. <laughs> oh. I think um, she's in our car. <laughs> but I, I did try to look at lists of film adaptations of Romeo and Juliet just to mention them. And every list I found was so long that I would get to the 1940s and be like, this is just too many. There's no way I can actually get through this list. Oh, shit. Hundreds. And there's still title to some degree of Romeo and Juliet. Right, or, or heavily referenced Romeo and Juliet, even to the point of, well, Shakespeare invented the phrase or he's credited with inventing the phrase star-crossed lovers by mm. writing Romeo and Juliet, which of course means that their fates are crossed they cannot be together because their fates will not allow them to be together and even stories that aren't necessarily about forbidden romance but doomed romance will reference that a popular example is the fault in our stars which Mm. is not a forbidden romance but it does end in tragedy yeah and Mm. the title for that book and the movie adaptation comes from this idea that the fault in romeo and juliet's stars were that they were crossed the fault in our stars are that we are doomed to die young. Right. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of trivia. You could read so much into Romeo and Juliet, but it truly is. I, I think you could make a good argument that it is the most famous piece of English literature. Yeah. In history. And there's a reason why these two movies went to that and not to Pyramus and Thisbe or to Tristan and Isolde or... I can't even think of other older examples, but there's just something about that balcony scene that everyone gets it. Even Mm -hmm. if you don't believe it, you get it. And you feel it. I feel like you feel that pinch and like, you know, just kind of like tugs at your heartstrings. No matter how old you are, no matter how cynical. Right. Even if you you don't believe that they truly love each other, you do believe that they believe they love each other. Right. Mm hmm. And I think you could argue that certainly for West Side Story, maybe Tony and Maria would not have ended up together forever. Mm-mm. But in the in the few days that that story takes place, they are certain that they're destined for each other. Right. Yeah, because it's what like three days that it's supposed to take place in. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Similar to similar to West Side Story. Uh, <laughs> which, if you're done, sexy segue time. Sexy segue time. Sexy segue time. I have West Side Story. Woo! Which I hate myself for giving it to me because <laughs> on my other podcast, <laughs> I did a whole episode on West Side Story, um, which is great. I mean, it was great to have all that information and everything about the movie. So, I didn't really have to look anything extra up. I just have my outline from that episode. <laughs> episode 21, West Side Story, featuring Tony Guerrero, If in case you're wondering, Ooh. on Life's But a Song, the other podcast that also had Shady on it, and maybe Annie at one point, Hopefully. to be determined. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if y'all have seen 
the stage version of it. We saw one in 2012. It we was a in traveling. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that, and that it was, was really one, good. Yeah. That was the one that was partially in Spanish. Yeah. I loved so it. What they, um, they have the, they have a different order of the songs in the stage version. Mm-hmm. But when I was talking on my episode of the podcast, I feel like the movie version makes sense. Yeah. Hold isn't on. it? Cool and Officer Krupke are sort of swapped. Cool and Officer mm-hmm. Krupke are swapped, but like cool happens after um, the rumble where you have Riff and Bernardo dying. And it kind of makes sense for them to have mm-hmm. that song there instead of G Officer Krupke, which is I like, agree. Oh, we- um, but my, my guest was speculating that um, they didn't want, they had it that way because they didn't want audiences to be super bummed out but uh, like, so you provide levity at that moment mm-hmm. but like gee ever so crappy was not the right right I, I agree yeah i feel like cool is a really good segue going from the depressing to being like you gotta you know calm down get your right. head right play move cool plus, play plus you cool, get another dance number right get some khakis from old navy get some khakis from old navy <laughs> yeah yeah um Officer Krupke is a little too ha ha laugh out yeah, loud. Yeah, too silly. It's, it's not the it right kind of seems of... inappropriate, honestly. Right. Yeah. It, it seems to almost be making light of the tragedy that has just happened. Mm-hmm. So almost. The show actually opened on Broadway in 1957 um, and it ran for 732 performances. But a decade earlier, so 1947, Jerome Robbins approached Leonard Bernstein and Arthur Lawrence about doing a musical adaptation of Romeo and Juliet um, originally. And this is where you, Miss Shady, almost said something. Oh, no. Originally, it was the differences were going to be the religious backgrounds, mm-hmm. where you would have the Catholic Jets versus the Jewish Emeralds. Oh, so were the Jets going to be like all Italian or all Irish or? Don't know. Okay. But That's like, interesting. But uh, in 1956, the trio reunited Jerome Robbins, Leonard Bernstein, Arthur Lawrence uh, and added Steve, a, a little known person named Stephen Sondheim. At the time, technically he was who, who that? Um, who wrote <laughs> the lyrics and then Hal Prince directed the original production. Um, wow, what what a list of names! Yeah, so wow. they they originally, like I said, they were going to do religious, but then there was a real anti Puerto Rican sentiment in New York at the time, so that's where they got that from. And then, uh, so the show comes out in 1957. Four years later, the movie comes out. So, wow. Very fast turnaround. A lot, if you actually look at a lot of these, like, I want to say this is the end of the Golden Age. What's it, story? It's like the tail end yeah. of the Golden Age of Hollywood yeah, musicals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were a couple left in the 60s, but it wasn't like it was in the 40s and 50s. Yeah, where if you look at the Golden Age movies uh, musicals based off of stage productions there is a fast turnaround so four years is like a little slow but like pretty fast 
Mm-hmm. The, and it's and like Romeo and Juliet, it's been done everywhere by everyone, right? Including during the kitchen sink, right? Um, so Marni- by communities that do not have Puerto Rican actors. Yes. <laughs> so Marnie Nixon is not the only one who is the singing voice for a character. Um, Tony is dubbed by Jimmy Bryant. And Riff is dubbed only in the Jet song by Tucker Smith. And then uh, our good friend Rita Moreno is dubbed only in A Boy Like That by Betty Wand. Oh. I think that's because uh, Betty Wand could hit those note- higher notes better than Rita Moreno could. So not to, qu- not to question, you know, diva, but... Right. <laughs> good to know about that well that's Uh, interesting they did really good vocal matches for uh riff and anita then because i would have never guessed that those were different voices yeah (laughs) this is just a fun little factoid for me but at the at the beginning uh you know when when riff throws a basketball to a kid yeah that is macaulay culkin's dad (laughs) kit culkin is the kid oh my god no clue that is so crazy yeah so that is the father of roman roy from succession god damn i did okay so backtrack a little bit marnie nixon also did provide the singing voice for marina rita moreno in one song at the end of the quintet uh, oh. uh, Marty Nixon wanted a cut of the royalties, but ended up getting 25% of Leonard Bern- Bernstein's royalties because she's like, listen, I'm covering two voices now. And one of the voices is the lead. Yeah. Gimme. Well, it's both fe- both of the largest female roles. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Uh, Elvis was Robert Wise's first choice to play Tony. Oh, thank God that didn't happen. Uh, and then I also read that Jerome Robbins was fired from the movie. I don't remember why, but he was fired. So the fact that he's still credited as director slash choreographer is a feat of strength. I also read that they kept both camps separate. Like, no, the actors couldn't cross-mingle with each other. Oh. But if you want more fun factoids and in, in, in like a hour-long discussion on it go to life's but a song my other podcast <laughs> episode 21 west side story and where maybe can I, where can i find this podcast anywhere you get podcasts what, whatever you're using to listen to this one yes find <laughs> it Stitcher there it is <laughs> please please remember to rate and write a comment subscribe to it and tell your friends about it Plug over. Maybe I'll plug it again later. <laughs> Let's go to Annie now to discuss cheerleading. All right. What, what do you want to know? So, okay. First question that I have. That stunt that the flamingos do in the video, I don't remember what it was, but it was something big that um, their coach was just like, none of your kids can do this shit. 
How legal was that? Uh, from what I remember, because I don't remember it too well. It was like a pyramid stunt, right? Where there was like people. No, it was like uh, I think it was some type of basket toss. Oh, that was super legal. Pretty much the only thing in a basket toss you can't do is like a backwards or a forwards flip, but you can twist the way that she twists. Yeah. Interesting. So talk to us about the golden, the golden dragon. No, <laughs> yeah, the dueling no. dragon yeah, stunt. Yeah. Doesn't, I mean, it looks like it obeys the laws of physics. It does not look right. like it obeys the laws of competitive cheerleading. There were certain parts of it that to me felt okay like when they at the very end when they go up and they fall into the other like other people's arms and cross Mm -hmm. that's legal the part that I thought was like questionable was when they're holding their arms and their their limbs and flipping them upside down like on the ground Mm -hmm. that part I think is questionable but it's not super like oh my god you can't do that at all because they're still holding every single part of their of their like, arms and legs, like their extremities. It just looked to me like that was, they were too much in danger of pulling an arm out of a socket or something. Yeah. Um, now, is that like, like, a, like a combination of moves? Yeah, so, so especially like towards the end of my cheerleading career, there was an uptick in creativity with stunts because it was kind of like you wanted to one up the other teams as much as you could get away with the type of pyramid that I had to do that terrified me because at one point I like I like have to kick my one leg over the other spin in the air and fall down so it's kind of like sort of similar to the dueling dragons stunt but not nearly as uh questionable safety safety wise but could you do it to stunt groups as close together as they were while swinging someone like that yeah you could okay yeah because that was my my fear too that i was going well they kept pushing me so much closer well it was one girl in the middle who was like holding our legs okay and then at once we you know we'd go one two and then she would throw our legs up and then we would spin and my fear was i was going to kick her in the head okay I never did, but I was like, I was like, I might kick this girl. So, okay, this movie came out in 2007. Um, so, 06, 07, around that time period, was choreography, dancing choreography, not stunting choreography. Was that, like, becoming popular in routines? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, so it used to be when I first started cheering and, like, when I first started, uh, like my first two years of high school cheerleading, there was a big focus on the cheer part where you would like, like it was kind of like the cheer chant where you would do motions, you would do jumps, flips, and you would you know say whatever your words were, kind of just being like, we're number one, you're number two, or as they would do in their rumble, your moves make us have to pee, which was horrible i don't even understand what that taunt means me either i was like <laughs> like was, it kind it, of sounds like you're saying your moves scare us so actually we're giving you a compliment right now right that was terrible but that but that's what we would do we do those cheers we would say words that rhymed um but i was trying to make sense of that one coach that was right in. yeah yeah so so towards the end so like 20 like you know 2006 2007 
and especially with like all-star cheerleading, what became huge was kind of taking out the cheer part of cheerleading and replacing it with choreography and dance. So that was a big thing. So when they brought in that choreographer, Chicago, Mm -hmm. like we hired out choreographers too. Like we hired choreographers to come in and teach us a dance. Um, Now, was that... Go ahead. I was going to say, was that partially responsible because of the first Bring It On? I don't know. I just, I just think it was kind of just, just like the just, progression of cheerleading yeah. like throughout. Just, just like a natural evolution of it. Right. Where it was kind of like also there was kind of more of like a, I don't want to say necessarily that we were becoming more like our dancing was becoming more like sexual, but less like if you look at cheerleading from like the 90s, it's very like peppy and kind of corny and then when you look at cheerleading in the 2000s it's a lot more just like fast dance a lot of like hip-hop influence like clearly like a lot of hip-hop influence so we do a lot of like this and like sliding down our legs and kind of like pushing our chest out and our butts out and our hips out but not super sexual right that that means points deducted right I was gonna say wasn't there like I remember you talking about a rule one time where you were talking about doing the the hand slide down your leg but you had to make sure that it was on top of your leg and not too close to your inner thigh Mm -hmm. if it was too close to your yeah so it had to be like on the side yeah if it was if it was inside it was suddenly too sexually suggestive oh no it's you know it's the same set of movements yeah. Um, but so what separates, do you think, the type of dance that cheerleaders do, at least towards the end of your career and maybe still to this day, uh, from what a dance team that incorporates gymnastics would do? Because there are dance teams that do like they have, you know, people who do flips and stuff. But outside of stunts, what would you say, like, separates cheer from dance team? Um, there's still cheer incorporated, like there's still, and like what we did was we cut down the cheer part and we included it with the music behind it. So then we had to be even louder. Okay. So shouting things like, you know, at certain points in the music. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Defense. Um, but I guess, I mean, in terms of like the style of choreo because you said that you know there was a lot of hip-hop influence was it still focused on like hitting the angle at a certain point more so than adding Mm -hmm. a flourish the way you know dance teams would add a flourish a little bit more which would you know as much as they also need to look clean they could add a little bit of expressiveness to it and I get the impression that cheer is still like the most important thing is to make sure everyone is hitting the same angles yeah and and being and being in unison like that's yeah really important and the like jumps too is a really important oh and the tumbling passes Mm -hmm. um we we have a 10 year old niece who is currently she is on a junior elite team uh for cheer just like her auntie yeah Uh, and her her mother too uh both of our older sisters were also cheerleaders for as long as Annie was a cheerleader I was the odd one out who but they I I I, it's important for me to say this in case you know they listen Mm -hmm. they both were better than me I was not the best (laughs) cheerleader 
in the family. Wait, what? You said that you're the best cheerleader in the O'Grady family? <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I... But our niece does do elite cheer and they're not competing yet. They don't com- start competing until I think she said November is their first competition. But she has had choreo practices all summer for like, like she'll go in for five hours on a Saturday for choreo practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously they're also breaking for lunch and stuff during that time because you can't keep a bunch of 10 year old girls moving for five hours. Me. But it's like, it's like pretty hardcore. Yeah. But like, if you watch their routines, a lot of times what they mean by choreo is it's not the dance, it's it's the dance and also the tumbling and also the stunt formations. It's, mm-hmm. it's the whole Because it's all, it's all choreographed. Because if you're not, like the stunt is choreographed, you have to do it all in, in unison at the same time. Because if you don't, you fall, you mess up, especially if you're doing a pyramid. Like that is very, like choreography is crucial for mm-hmm. that. And then while that's happening, if you're not in the stunt, you're up front doing a tumble pass or you're doing jumps or you're doing dancing. Some sort of excitement movement. Right. And it all has to be in sync because if it's not, even by a second, it's noticeable. So then the rumble that happens in Bring It On. That never happens in cheerleading. But like, (laughs) more what I was going with, um, when they fall, like they really could have, injured themselves obviously they are stunt they are professionals at it but like that pyramid was yeah it? yeah those were pyramids right they were like three person high or something yeah so parts of that i would say you, you, we couldn't do when they were trying to break into the flamingos cheer remember and brooke went up the one stunt and then they popped her up into the next stunt Mm-hmm. That is completely un- un- like Im- unacceptable, impossible. Just like wouldn't have been allowed, right? Whatsoever. To be <laughs> yeah. fair, at those points, they're not actually at those those points in the movie. They're not actually in competition. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like, more asking, like the way that they fell though oh. from from the rumble, like that could have caused injuries. Yes. Yeah. It depends on how you fall and where you fall, what you fall on. I've definitely fallen from that height and I've gotten concussions. I've fallen from that height and have been and walked up and was like, all right, let's try again. You know, and it was completely harmless, like completely unharmed. So it really just depends on how you fall. You could fall on someone and I, you know, fell and I gave a girl a black eye. I've hit people in the back of the head. You know, I've basically fallen over people and on top of their bodies like i'm coming for you (laughs) i mean it's really under it's really understated how easy it is to get hurt in cheerleading girls have done flips and fallen on their head like their heads and their necks and their backs yeah and people have you know been paralyzed you know, left quadriplegic because they fell out of a stunt where they were doing a twist and fell on their spine. Yeah. In a way that paralyzed them from the neck down. Yeah. Anyone died from cheerleading? Like it's a, I, I, it, it sounds bizarre. I would be surprised. Like, yeah, I, it would not surprise me. Um, I, Especially I, with the type of cheerleading that they were doing in this movie. Like that is elite 
tough competitive cheerleading. They all I, should be dead, you say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> None of them should have survived. Well, I, I don't think they should have, they should be dead because of those stunts. I think they should be dead because there should have been a firing squad for their involvement in this movie. Mm-hmm. Their quote unquote <laughs> acting. Yes. And um, I, I will say cheer camps are a real thing. I b- not yes. to this extent yeah like we would go every summer to a cheer camp to learn new to learn new cheers to learn new dance moves to learn new stunts and there wouldn't really be like a competition but we would do a performance at the end and then they would kind of award like who they thought was like the best of the week and we we've won say. like the f- three times i went to cheer camp we won i think twice so. okay okay can i just say though it is hilarious that the camp montage if you will where they're in the different classes they're on like the same hill three (laughs) feet apart from each other yeah yeah i'm just like guys like i clearly see chicago's class in the background of what's her nuts's class and then the other girls doing like herkies or whatever were they doing was did i say it right were they doing herkies or yeah i'm sure yeah whatever that stuff was Oh, I think what I'm thinking of is a type of jump that was like very 90s. They were, well, like there was that one class that Brooke was in or Chelsea was in where they were doing like a certain jump. And I was like, okay, so that's on the other side of the hill. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you have all this campground, quote unquote. I was going to say, we this, would this never... looks like a large complex. Why aren't you using it? And we would never go to like, a theme park to so i went to cheer camp three times twice we went to an actual like summer camp where we stayed in cabins in the woods pro- probably like the poconos or something and then my junior year we went to rutgers university in new brunswick and stayed in dorm rooms yeah yeah you did more like a camp camp not yeah like a- yeah it was a camp camp that felt not like a go like getting free yeah so I did actually compete in Disney World. And fun fact, Miley Cyrus competed in the same competition and Billy Ray Cyrus is backstage and my mom saw him. And you were, did you, you were kick d- their ass? Different oh, age so group, she was right? in different age group. We got fourth place, I think out of like seven or eight teams. We did okay. We weren't, a, I mean, for me, I wasn't competitive. Like cheerleading wasn't life or death for me. It wasn't something that like I banked. Honestly, like, I I enjoyed cheerleading because I enjoyed the actual, like, cheerleading aspect of it. I love being a motivator. I love encouraging people. I love being happy and preppy and being like, yeah, we can do this. You got this. So, like, I loved that aspect of cheerleading. I did not love the, com- the competition part of it. It was very stressful. I didn't care enough about winning. Like, if we won, awesome. Like, it felt really good, but it wasn't life or death for me and like accomplishing it oh i was gonna say and like accomplishing a new stunt felt like an accomplishment a personal accomplishment i just didn't care i didn't i really didn't like being a flyer i don't like heights so being a flyer was terrifying for me basket tosses like gave me many panic attacks every time i went up there like but you one were year, tiny. You couldn't be a base. I couldn't. Put, I wanted to so up. bad. I wanted to so bad. But you and like could not sophomore year, up. they played around with it. I was like, "Fuck yes, please make me a base." But yeah, I was so tiny. 
that I didn't have a choice but to be a flyer and I hated it and I wasn't mm. good I wasn't a good flyer so did I was, you- I was clean mm-hmm. but like I but there were certain things I just like oh like, you, could, just, you could do a scorpion do. you could do a bow and arrow no yeah problem. like I was flexible I was clean like right. my emotions were always really good and, and I enjoyed the dancing I enjoy I loved cheering at the football games I loved cheering at the pep rallies I loved cheering at the basketball games yeah but I, I could, I was, I could uh, give less of a fuck about the competitions you know by the time I got and I cried a lot too senior year my last ba- like um banquet had you know had to go up and make a speech and I just and I couldn't get anything out because I was just crying because I knew that this like big part of my life was over like I knew going into college I wasn't going to continue cheerleading and it was kind of it was like my only hobby it was the only sport I ever did it was a huge part of my life and there's definitely aspects of it about it that I still love but um fuck competition like I just (laughs) it just kept getting too hard and they just kept you know pushing the limits and pushing us and I just and I couldn't meet their expectations by the time I was you know 17 so well thank you for being our cheerleader yeah I love that yeah Yeah. Um, I have one more question just regarding the movie now I know sometimes cheerleading routines involve pom-poms megaphones occasionally you'll get signs like go fight go whatever yeah how much are you really allowed to use props not at all okay so so them banging on the trash cans and moving the fences and doing a stomp routine completely unacceptable (laughs) banging on a trash Trash can. can All right. Yeah, and, and even using the pom poms and the, the megaphones, we didn't really use. We just used them as to like, this is where I'm standing. This is where oh, I stand for the football game. Them, you you would use them to spot. Yeah, it's like mark your spot. Okay. And the only time we used the pom poms was at football games. With okay, you didn't use them in competition at all. No. Okay. Again, I feel like that was very that was very much a '90s thing, and by the time this movie came out, that was a thing of the past. <laughs> Mm. and definitely never used fences or trash cans or rakes not once well let's get into final thoughts shall we do it uh so every episode we like to ask questions usually five usually they're the same yeah uh could we think of other movies like these two well we talked a whole bunch about different romeos and juliets uh i can't think of any other ones that specifically use the names sharks and jets versus you know in place of montague and Right, and then that also has like a balcony scene and some other i have a couple but i think they're all kind of far stretches okay stretch Um, it out moulin rouge just because it's a musical of star-crossed lovers good soundtrack i'll Um, allow it yeah but it's definitely a stretch I mean, and it connects to, like, Boz Lerman loves the Star-Crossed Lover plotline. And he yeah. directed Moulin Rouge and the version of Romeo and Juliet we were just raving about. Yeah. Um, another one that I saw, a lot, I could think of a lot of similarities between West Side Story and this movie, uh, Save the Last Dance. 
And I also thought it had a lot of similarities to bring it on in it to win it because of the choreography and the dancing being a huge part of the movie. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, it's definitely a stretch too. But okay. again, it's, you know, it's a movie that talks about race and classism and mm-hmm. again, star-crossed lovers, you know, they're not meant to be together. Yeah. I, w- so I was the- focused on the sharks versus jets thing. So I was like, no. Uh, did we like these movies? I loved one of them. Same. Same. Bring it on, <laughs> right, girls? Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Let's just say I'm in it to win it. <laughs> uh, would we watch these again? I I'd would watch-, watch one of them. Sure. Yes. I, I, if somebody forced me to watch Bring It On, In It to Win It, they could force me to watch a worse movie. It's true. I will say, if I rewatch either of these movies, it will make me cry. West Side Story <laughs> makes me cry every time I watch it because the music and the story and everything about it is just beautiful and always brings me to tears. And I would cry if I had to watch Bring It On in it, to Win It Again because I'd be like, why is this happening to me? What have I done so wrong that I have to watch this again? You're going to blame me, probably. You'd be like, John! <laughs> uh, would we recommend them? Uh, I mean, anyone who has uh, not seen have... West Side Story, you should see it. Stop and watch. What the fuck are you yeah. doing with your life? Bring it on in to win it. I mean, if you're a completist when it comes to franchises, sure. But like... I mean, but there's zero ooh. attachment to the original. Right. Yeah. Even if you're a, a franchise completist, I can't in, in good conscience, in good conscience recommend this movie to anyone. Mm-mm. And then finally, are they actually the same? I think Bring It On wants to be the same as West Side Story. It is not. I'd feel differently if Carson died at the end of Bring It On. Or Penn. Or at least someone. No, I want Brooke to live. She's double-jointed. Well, here's here's one of my biggest issues with like comparing these movies is the love story in in it to win it was completely useless yeah they had a perfectly workable plot and storyline without the love interest yeah there there was nothing nothing they reached that they couldn't have reached without a love story right seems very secondary to yeah even tertiary yeah i would say like the love interest between pepper wanting to beat her ex-husband was more important than the relationship between Carson and Penn. I don't think you're wrong in saying yeah. that. And, no, and no, her love for her spirit stick was also. Oh, yeah. Did you her? know she was using that spirit mm, stick? I was going to say, she yeah. used that as a dildo. Yeah. Right? Right? Yes. She's like very attached to it. But then that makes yeah. it weird that she's giving it to teenagers. Yeah. Maybe for them to have a sexual awakening. I just hope it's getting sanitized between squads. Well, I mean, the the sharks did do a seancey thing with it, so. That's true. Who's to say? Uh, But we've come to the end of the episode. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) Annie, is there anything you want to plug or promote? I would like to plug or promote John's other podcast. What? I know. My podcast. 
Yeah, you can stream it anywhere where you stream your podcast. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple. The other one. Name it. Other other ones. It's called Life's But a Song. It's really good. Like your your work on it is so good. And it makes me so happy because I get to listen to my friend John without also having to listen to me. (laughs) But that's unless you're on the episode. (laughs) I don't I don't. I, I, I don't pay as much attention when it's an episode with me in it. <laughs> uh, if you want to get in touch with me um, outside of podcasting, you can find me on Twitter at Movies John. Sometimes I post things. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I still don't understand Twitter, but sometimes I post things. <laughs> All right. And uh, if you, you want to contact me on Twitter... I am at Cookie O Shady. Shady, what kind of dessert are you this week? Okay, so Annie, do you remember when you were doing township cheerleading and every like year, and I always got to go because my mom was one of the people who organized it. We would have like breakfasts or brunches at somebody's different house, like a mm-hmm. different person's house mm-hmm. uh, before competitions. Did they have Danishes? I think they always did. Okay, I'm a Danish. That's a very roundabout way to get to that you're a Danish. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure, and I, I wanted people. I wanted yeah, they always have like that. the like the trays of Danishes because I would yeah. always get like a cheese Danish. Yeah, I usually had a bagel and orange juice. Nothing wrong with bagels and orange juices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if it's you want a dessert. <laughs> And if you want to get in touch with the pod, feel free to email us at moviedejavupod at gmail.com. That is M-O-V-I-E-D-E-J-A-V-U-P-O-D at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram at moviedejavupod, same spelling. And we're on Twitter at moviedejavu. No pod. Why is that shady? Because it's up on the balcony and the movie Deja Vu is soliloquying up to it. And again, sometimes we post on that. I mean, it happens <laughs> on occasion. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to be part of our next episode, we're going to be talking... Oh, fucking hey, we're doing that. That's right. We're going to be <laughs> talking about Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia, here we go again. I hate myself for scheduling that because... I also just did it on my other podcast. (laughs) So just reuse all the same material. Oh boy, I'm going to. So. Mute yourself and let me talk about Meryl Streep for an hour. And share. Like. And share. share. (laughs) Uh, So thank you all. I'm going to do a back tuck out of this. Mm. while singing in my falsetto. I'm just going to try not to get stabbed. I'm going to snap my fingers, back away slowly, and I'm going to come up with cheer puns on the way out. (laughs) Okay. And bye, everyone. Song. When you're gonna realize 
It was just that the time was wrong Juliet